You're listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Here's your host, Ed Yonka, Director of Communications and Public Policy. Thanks, Max. Welcome to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Headlines across the United States are rife today with reports of other states adopting measures designed to reduce or even eliminate access to reproductive health care for women. In the past year, in the Midwest alone, Iowa, Missouri, Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio all have considered or adopted bills aimed to ensure that women in those states cannot access abortion care. Just last week, the state of Georgia enacted a measure that criminalizes all abortion care for women after they are six weeks pregnant. This may be before many women even know they are pregnant, and it criminalizes the provision of this service with threats of penalties and prison. The Georgia law remarkably goes further, barring many forms of contraception and criminalizing women traveling out of the state of Georgia to seek abortion care elsewhere. All of these laws are being challenged by the ACLU, but these challenges are likely to end up in a Supreme Court of the United States with two new appointees of Donald Trump, who as a candidate openly declared that he would only appoint justices opposed to Roe v. Wade. Many of you may know that Illinois has long been an oasis in the Midwest for reproductive rights, including abortion. But Illinois law regulating abortion actually includes criminal penalties. You may not have known that. The thing is, those penalties have been blocked by the courts almost since they were passed into law decades ago. But as cases challenging bans in other states work their way through the federal court system, there could be changes to how Illinois abortion laws are enforced. This could result in big changes in Illinois, including women having to seek spousal consent for an abortion, having to listen to a state-mandated lecture to receive the abortion care they seek, or having to wait 24 hours simply to access reproductive health care that they desire. What happens elsewhere matters in Illinois. This led to the introduction of the Reproductive Health Act in the Illinois House of Representatives this past February. But the bill has not moved, largely because of misstatements about the bill, which have created questions, fear, and delay. Today, we are going to talk about this proposal, and at the end of this podcast, we will give you some specific tools to take action. We are pleased to be joined first today by the chief sponsor of the Reproductive Health Act in Illinois, State Representative Kelly Cassidy. Representative Cassidy, welcome to Talking Liberties. Thanks for having me. So before I ask about the RHA, Let me ask you, when you see the measures that are being proposed around the country in Georgia, in Alabama, in Indiana, for example, what message do you think is being sent to women across the country? That they're coming for us, frankly. It's really that simple. I mean, we were promised in the lead up to the last election that they were going to overturn Roe, that they were going to criminalize abortion. Women voted as if that were true. Um, which we've seen now with, you know, huge turnouts and newly elected women in legislatures everywhere. 
Um, and now they're following through on that promise. So you've been working to expand access to reproductive health care in Illinois for a number of years. This isn't new for you. But I wonder how you see the Reproductive Health Act fitting into that work and that effort over those years. Um, in many ways, having been around when some of the terrible components of our abortion law that are, that are currently enjoined, um, having been around on the losing end, when some of these uh, bills were passed, I, I feel like it's, it's pretty gratifying to have this opportunity to, to actually clean it up and get it right, um, you know, to, to, to reverse those harms that are, you know, I, I've described them as laying there like zombies waiting to be uh, raised from the dead. And we're close to that now, and it's pretty scary. So the opportunity to right those wrongs, to clean up our statutes, um, feels like a, a really good next step uh, in this, this work I've been doing for the last couple decades here. When you talk about those zombie provisions, when you, when you talk about the things that are just lying around, I wonder for you, what are the, the most critical elements of that in particular that you want to make sure get cleaned up? I, you know, to pick one is to say that someone else is less important, right? right? So, you know, whether we're talking about the spousal consent or waiting periods, or criminal penalties for doctors, I can't say that one of them is more important than the other, and that's why passing the RHA in a comprehensive way is so critically important. So, Representative Cassidy, is there a story, is there one narrative that really drives you on this? Is it a constituent, is your own story that you've heard that really makes this work important to you? I, I mean, I hear from constituents all the time about this stuff, from, well, you know, whether it's a lesbian family struggling to access uh, fertility treatment or my own story of needing an abortion to preserve my fertility and needing insurance coverage to be able to do that. Um, any of those are reminders that this is an everyday issue that touches folks. Um, access to birth control, access to, to good information and good care wherever you live. Those are the real issues that drive me every day. And, of course, we should say that in your instance, preserving your fertility means that you have three happy, healthy boys today that you're raising. Absolutely. And, and they, they are my reminder. You know, I, I would not have had them. I may not have even survived if not for, you know, having access to good care. I never thought that I'd have an abortion. And I worked really hard to get pregnant. I went through a lot get pregnant. So the last thing I wanted was to end that pregnancy. But I also knew that the only way I was going to be able to move forward and preserve my fertility, preserve my life, was to take advantage of that that medical care. And I, I am grateful every day for the doctors and nurses that walked me through that and and made it possible for my three boys to exist. One of them is about to graduate high school. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. So you introduced this measure in February, and it hasn't moved thus far. I wonder if you can give a little background on what's been happening and what you see going forward in these last few weeks of the session. Well, you know, it's been very frustrating trying to get a hearing, trying to move the bill, um, trying to understand the real reasons why it's not moving. Those are all those are frustrating, and it's, it's not an unusual thing, or not totally unusual. It, it happens. But it usually happens for a reason, 
And, you know, it's a little, it's been a little harder than usual to find out exactly what the, what the sticking point is. Um, I think that there's uh, a lack of understanding of the urgency among some of my colleagues. And I think that that's what's so important for folks to make clear to their members. You know, we've got cases in the pipeline right now that could revive these zombies any day. And I, for one, don't want to be, I don't want to be responsible for those, those laws becoming active again. I want to be responsible for removing them once and for all. I just think that, you know, members and regular folks don't understand that this stuff is still on the book, ready to go back into effect. I think that folks believe that when we win some of these court cases, as we have over the years with the ACLU's help and support, that this language goes away. I don't think there's really an understanding that it's still there with a brick on it. Right. And, and any court decision down the road could remove that brick. And that's where we are. Is that a message, or I wonder if there are other messages that you really think that, for example, our listeners should be conveying to your colleagues? Absolutely. And really, at its most fundamental, regulations around healthcare don't belong in the criminal code. It's really that simple. Um, but that's not been compelling enough. For, for my colleagues. And so that understanding that, that we voted in huge numbers uh, in this last election because of this existential threat to our reproductive freedom, and we can do it again. I think it's critically important that people understand that. That's great. So, um, Representative Cassidy, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I promise you that we're going to stay in touch with you uh, as this bill moves forward, and it will move forward. Absolutely. I am in it for the long haul. I just hope it's not as long as it looks like it'll be right now. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Joining us now on Talking Liberties to dig into the details of the Reproductive Health Act is our executive director, Colleen Connell. Before she was executive director, Colleen served as the head of the ACLU of Illinois' Reproductive Rights Project. In that capacity, she was personally involved to challenges to many of the provisions of the Illinois abortion law. Colleen, welcome back to Talking Liberties. Thank you, Ed. Colleen, let's start with a simple question. What is this bill all about and what does it do? Well, this bill treats women's reproductive health care as health care. And that is a fundamentally important recognition and, quite frankly, change in the law in Illinois, as it's written at least, because for almost 40 years, uh, uh, really, quite frankly, soon after the Supreme Court's decision in Roe versus Wade recognizing that a woman has a constitutionally protected right to make decisions about whether to have a child, including use of contraception and, and again, to have an abortion— uh, the state of Illinois, for many, many years, uh, siloed uh, reproductive health care, including birth control and abortion, and often imposed criminal penalties on doctors who offered this essential health care to women. What House Bill 2495 does is it says we are going to treat uh, reproductive health care, birth control, abortion, maternity care as health care. And we are not going to treat it any longer as a crime. So that is the most fundamental way of thinking about what House Bill 2495 does. As a second matter, it really is a 
a cleanup or a fix-up because many of the laws that I just referenced, the ones that treat um, abortion and birth control as a crime, have long been blocked from enforcement by the courts because of ACLU litigation starting actually in the days before Roe in 1971. And so what House Bill 2495 does is it cleans up Illinois law. It re- it basically repeals all of those old laws and, uh, again, goes back to the pro- proposition that we're going to treat and regulate reproductive health care just like we do all other health care, which is to leave to women and their doctors um, medical decision-making that best protects the health of the woman. And really, quite frankly, when you think about it, is that how we want to treat all medical care? That that really the 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 person and his or her doctor really actually gets the information and then has the ability to make the decision and implement the decision that best protects their health. So let's talk about a couple of areas where these laws have been blocked. I think you've mentioned one the the nineteen seventy five uh, abortion law. That, that's the one, as I understand it, that covers criminal or in, imposes most of the criminal penalties. That's one of the laws that imposes um, the criminal penalties. That's correct. And so you would reverse that and take out the criminal. You, you would essentially remove abortion from the criminal code. We repeal the Illinois Abortion Law of 1975 and the various versions that have been enacted over the years. So we basically take it off the books, which has the effect then, of course, of treating reproductive health care just like other health care, which isn't regulated in the criminal code. Right. One of the other areas that you address is the issue around the regulation of facilities that offer abortion care. And I wonder if you could could talk a little bit about what happens with that. Absolutely. So uh, many years ago, again, this was in the early 1980s, so in the immediate aftermath of Roe, the Illinois General Assembly enacted what we now call trap laws, targeted regulation of abortion providers. The purpose of these trap laws is to actually make it impossible, quite frankly, for a a doctor um, to offer abortion services because the regulatory code is so extreme, so medically unnecessary, so expensive, um, that there's no way that um, this important health care can be offered to, to patients. And so back in the mid-1980s, uh, the ACLU of Illinois uh, challenged the constitutionality of this trap law, which again singles out abortion um, and abortion providers for discriminatory overregulation. And um, that law also was enjoined. Uh, and just sort of one perhaps sad story of how uh, Illinois was ahead of its time in terms of trying to, uh, I think, really stigmatize women for making healthcare decisions and stigmatize doctors who provided reproductive health care. Um, uh, the, the U.S. Supreme Court um, almost three years ago struck down a near-identical Texas trap law, which had gone into effect and which had exactly the consequence uh, that the drafters intended. It reduce dramatically the number of clinics that could provide abortions in the state of Texas. And unfortunately, tragically, we saw a corresponding uptick in the number of complications for women who were denied this essential health care or had to travel much further to get it. So 
I think sometimes these regulations and these requirements for facilities are offered as protecting women's health and safety. I hear you saying that they aren't necessarily really for that purpose. That's a, a, absolutely right. They're emphatically intended to prevent women from getting the health care they want, that they need, and that is often the most medically appropriate health care um, given the situation that the woman uh, may be experiencing. And it's really important that we call these laws for what they are. They're an effort to outlaw abortion or to make it darn near impossible for women to access. Why now? Why do this now in Illinois? What's the hurry? If these laws have been blocked for some time, what's the urgency of making the change to the Illinois law at this point in time? There is a fierce urgency of now, given what's happening on the national scene and the fact that President Trump has declared war on women and, quite frankly, reproductive health care. Uh, we saw that when um, some really draconian and medically inappropriate regulations went into effect with respect to Title X providers of um, birth control and other women's health um, services. But more pointedly with respect to the Reproductive Health Act, um, President Trump has declared that one of his goals, and he's made good on that, is to uh, uh, nominate and have confirmed both to the United States Supreme Court and to the other federal courts justices and judges who are opposed to um, the Roe versus Wade decision and protecting a woman's constitutional right to make decisions about her own health care, including reproductive health care. Um, the two justices that have been confirmed to the court under Trump's tenure, um, Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, both have records as, as lower court judges um, that are hostile to reproductive rights. In one really tragic case, uh, Justice uh, now Justice Kavanaugh, then Judge Kavanaugh, would have denied um, a, a young minor who had actually made her way to the United States through Central America was in seeking asylum in this country. And despite the fact that this young woman had passed all state law requirements to get an abortion, Justice Kavanaugh would have blocked this young woman who was pregnant as a consequence of sexual assault from getting an abortion. And so going back to why now, yeah. there's an incredible urgency to actually, I think, make good on one of the constitutional promises um, of our framers, which is essentially that the federal constitution is a floor, not a ceiling of how many rights we can protect. And states can if they choose to. And we are fervently hoping that Illinois um, will make this value choice, can provide more protection for for constitutional rights. And so this is a really important opportunity for Illinois legislators and the governor to take the next step in protecting women's health care. We took the first step two years ago, nearly two years ago, uh, when the General Assembly passed and the governor um, signed House Bill 40, which uh, essentially uh, expanded Medicaid funding for abortion and repealed a very onerous trigger law uh, that expressed a outdated and now repudiated um, sentiment that if Roe were ever overruled, um, Illinois would um, outlaw all abortions, basically. And so uh, that was an important first step, and now we're going the next step of actually making that value real. I want to pick up on a point you made, and I want to just to tease this out just a bit. 
So I think our listeners probably hear a lot about the threats to Roe at the federal level, the threats to reproductive rights at the federal level. What does this law mean if it's put in place, if something happened at the federal level? Would these protections still be in place for people in Illinois? In a word, yes. Uh, and that's why, again, the first the, the fierce urgency of now. Uh, if the Supreme Court overrules Roe or, as more people predict, really whittle away at its protections, this law will be on the books affirming Illinois' values uh, that we respect the right of all people, uh, including women, uh, to make the health care decisions that they need to make to protect their own life and health. And so this law will be on the books, and it will be an important hallmark for um, for Illinois women to actually be able to seek and obtain the health care they need. Some people hearing this are probably uh, seeing or reading articles uh, that describe this proposal as radical or far-reaching or compare it to bills in other states. Um, in your mind, what does this bill fundamentally do and what doesn't it do? Well, as I said, it really treats healthcare as healthcare. And the claims are more accurately the fabrications of those who are opposed to these bills are are really the same kind of smokescreen that I personally have seen for the last um, 35 years, uh, uh, which are efforts by those who are opposed to abortion and, quite frankly, opposed to women's rights, basically try to, um, under the false guise of, um, you know, creating lies about what these laws would actually do, um, try to block uh, abortions from being provided or try to outlaw all abortions. And I think it's really important to recognize that the goals of both the organizations and the spokespeople who oppose these bills is really, quite frankly, to outlaw all abortion. And we should never lose sight of that. Colleen, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us today. Thanks very much. Before we go, I want to appeal directly to you, the listener. If you live in the state of Illinois, we need you to be a voice to protect reproductive health care in Illinois. Call your state representative and demand that this bill be called for a vote on the floor of the Illinois House. You can call 217-993-8096 to be connected to your state representative's office. That number again is 217-993-8096. If you'd like more information about the bill, You can go to our website at aclu-il.org or passrha.com to learn more. As you heard Kelly Cassidy say, we need your voice to be part of this process. Roe is under threat and we must take every step that we can to protect abortion care, and other reproductive health care here in Illinois, and we must act today. Thank you for listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Again, I'd like to thank our guests for the day, State Representative Kelly Cassidy and Executive Director Colleen Connell. Talking Liberties is produced by Max Bever, Executive Producer Chris Olson, 
This episode was mixed by Philip Bonduring and Matt Sorrow. Our executive director is Colleen Connell. Subscribe to this podcast and rate us. Contact us directly at talkinglibertiesacluorg at aclu-il.org. Until next time, this is Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois.